Today we begin our uh, we begin our last day of our series on Earth as it is in Heaven. This is the end of the series. We've been doing this for some weeks now, and uh, this is the last one. Before I start the last of the On Earth as it is in Heaven series, let me tell you that next week uh, we have another series starting, and that one is called Unbelief. There it is. Unbelief is uh, this idea that all of us have doubt, all of us have challenges, all of us run into things on our faith journey where we have a shred of unbelief. And uh, more than that, there are major issues around us in the world uh, related to faith and science, or what about sex, what about um, hypocrisy, what about suffering, what about, these are the things, what are these barriers to faith that create those slivers of doubt in us? And not just in us as believers, but in our neighbors and friends, what are the things that keep them from ever coming to belief? And so for uh, six or seven weeks, we're going to really dive into each of these ideas and look at the scripture and see what it says and try to root ourselves in the biblical worldview. So not only would we shore up our own belief, but my prayer is that as a community, we'll be able to better articulate what we believe so that those who don't uh, might have a clearer sense of who we are and what we're about. And so that's coming next week. It's the perfect series to invite. If you have a neighbor, you've been waiting to invite them to church at just the right time to go, I don't know. I want to make sure we're going to be sensitive to that. That's the week. And so that would be starting next week, and that'll be going on for six to seven weeks after that, and we're excited. So I want to make you aware of that, okay? All right, so let's finish on earth as it is in heaven. Today we uh, are going to talk about being merciful. We've kind of been building up to this. It'll make sense if you go back and listen to all of them. If you've missed some, they're online. You can always go back and listen to the, the sermons. And yet today we're going to be talking about what does it mean to become a restorative people? What does it mean to become a restorative people? And so what we're going to do is just begin reading in Luke chapter 10. And we'll put it up here on the screen so you can read along with me. It says, On one occasion, the scripture says, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, uh, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? And so the, the teacher answered, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, and this is a story that you've probably heard before. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was then attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going along the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity upon him, or compassion. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey brought him to an inn, took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, look after him. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, Jesus says, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is one of those texts that we could spend months on and one day maybe we'll spend months on it. What I want to do today is notice a few key things that relate to this idea of of on earth as it is in heaven, this idea of of actually living out what Jesus came to bring. And so the context we need to know is the first part of Luke 10 is all about um, convincing the disciples that they are to be messengers. They're here to be messengers, and this is what we've talked about for weeks now. We've been over that, becoming a welcoming people, helping outsiders become insiders, reaching those that are far from God. It's this whole idea of becoming messengers. The second part of Luke 10, where this is situated, is all about reminding the disciples to be neighbors. So first, they're messengers, but second, they're also to be neighbors. So it's not just, it's not just going, but it's going with a certain, a certain how to it. So part one, take the gospel, make it known. And part two, meet the needs 
restore wholeness in the world around you as you go. And so what this would be called in some theological circles is the gospel of neighboring. The gospel of neighboring, and it's crucial. Because Jesus finishes this story, Jesus finishes this good Samaritan idea with what? He says, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise is a high calling with a high cost. Jesus could have finished that story and said, now do you understand what I mean by being a neighbor? He could have said, let's go and think about that for a while and see how that resonates in your soul. Instead, Jesus said, go and do likewise. It wasn't a, a mental exercise. This was, this was tactical command. And so what we need to understand is the deeds validate the words. And as believers, the, our deeds validate our words. If we believe it, then Jesus says, go and do likewise. Fundamentally, we are being called to be a restorative people, a restorative people. And so the first answer to the question of how do I inherit eternal life, the answer is the Shema, the, the Deuteronomy. It's a very good Jewish answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and strength and my neighbor as myself. Yes, absolutely. That's like, that's like if you went into our Sunday school classroom right now and you asked, you know, any question on earth and all the kids would immediately raise their hand and say, Jesus, right? Jesus! And they'd probably be very bright, like whatever. What helps you when you're sad? Jesus. What happens if you want a new dog? Jesus. Like, well, it's not wrong. Okay, but this is what the answer is. The answer is a very easy Jewish answer. Yes. And yet... That wasn't enough, because he had to then ask, okay, but, who, but who's my neighbor? Like, who is that? And the example of high calling that Jesus returns to this, this kind of trap question of like, oh, okay, we get it, but, but who is that really? Jesus does something like, we call it Jesus juke, you know, where you're expecting Jesus to do something, and he kind of jukes you and does this whole other thing. Jesus lays out the story of a Samaritan. The story of a Samaritan with restorative love. It's interesting, so... so this isn't like, this is an aside, this is not the point. But an aside is like, Jesus goes to a Jewish person, the Jewish person they're speaking, and the, the ethnic rival, if, if you could say there was a racism there, you would, we would say it that way, but that would be a Samaritan. That's a person, they're unclean, you don't want anything to do with them, they're on the outside, we, ugh, Samaritans. And Jesus, in response, to give the example of what it means to live a restorative life, the person who they are then to go and do likewise about is someone who is the ethnic rival of the Jew. And so we have to just, there's those little nuggets that Jesus drops in there that are beautiful for us as a people that we have to continue to work on those things even in our modern society. So don't miss that part. Jesus makes the hero of the story someone who is ethnically 180 degrees different from the Jew he's speaking to. I ask parents, uh, how many of the heroes in your home don't look like you? So like my kids, we have two little girls, we read books about heroes and, and courage, and so we'll read Ruby Bridges, who was the little girl who was the first one in the desegregation movement, who actually was the six-year-old who walked into a, an all-white school, and she had incredible courage. And so we read that story. We're Rosa Parks or, you know, Mandela or MLK, and we go through those stories just to make sure that we are not propagating a world where all of our heroes look like us. That sometimes our heroes are Samaritans, and sometimes it's okay that everyone, and so that's a racial aside, and that's a thing, but it's something we should be working on and kind of conscious of. That we are here to be reconciling people, a restorative people, and part of that is undoing the brokenness that we're in. Okay, totally unrelated, but important. First thing we see in the scripture that we're looking at when we go to the Samaritan. The first thing that you see is out of compassion, out of pity, he, it says it went to him. That opportunities abound in our lives that we can see opportunities for restoration or reconciliation, and we can go any different direction we want. The priests, the Levite, they're often mentioned and, and kind of poo-pooed as the people who 
They were the righteous ones, and yet they went to the other side, and yet it's the Samaritan who went to him. There's a cleaner way, there's a safer way, but Jesus is maybe saying there's not a better way. And so what we learn here is that proactive engagement is a hallmark of the Christian faith. Proactive engagement is a hallmark of the Christian faith. When we talk about go and do likewise, part of go and do likewise is being proactively engaging with those around you. Jesus promotes a radical, proactive engagement with deep compassion on one side and whole life care on the other. And this is important. The reason he lists all these different things the Samaritan did, he cared for him physically, he took care of his wounds, he cared for him emotionally, he was there providing a ministry of presence, he was caring for him financially, making sure that he wouldn't have any debt after all of this. This was whole life restoration. So when we talk about uh, how do I love my neighbor, the answer is, is going to be all of it. It's not a sliver here and there. And as a community, we go, well, I can't possibly do that. And that's why we have a church, a body, so that if you're good with the emotions and you're good with the finances and I can be good with, and we can, together, we can start restoring things each in our own areas of passion. What's amazing is, is Jesus is asking the listener a question. Do you care for others this way? As he lays out what the Samaritan has done and the whole life restoration that he's offering to the man left in the ditch, he's asking, do you care for others this way? Do you sacrificially step into harm's way into the mess of other people's lives and proactively engage to make them whole again? This is how we are the church of the 167. And if you don't know what that means, you may need to go back and listen to last week's sermon. This is how. It's, it's all great to say we're going to go out and we're going to be active outside the walls of this community and we're going to take on the city and we're going to see lives made whole and we're going to see things transformed and we're going to be the active force of good. And the question is how? This is how. To sacrificially step into the mess of other people's lives and with proactive engagement, take on and drive for restoration. So the question then becomes, what is the fuel for this work? Where do we find the fuel for this? And this is where mercy comes into play. Mercy leads to restoration. So Jesus asked the question, who was the neighbor? And the answer was the one who showed him mercy. Who was the neighbor of the man in the ditch? Who was the one, and the answer was very clear and right on point, the one who showed him mercy. The one who actually expressed mercy. And mercy is a funny term in scripture. There's kind of, it kind of waffles and nuances between different things. There's between eight and 12 different words between Hebrew and Greek that we can get mercy out of. What you see is one, you start looking and you dive deeper and you click on this definition and then you double click on the one below it. And, and I, I pulled two out that I just want to read to you. Mercy is that quality in God by which he faithfully keeps his promises and maintains his covenant relationship with his chosen people despite their unworthiness and their unfaithfulness. So mercy is the way that God relates to us despite our unworthiness or un- unfaithfulness. The second one I liked um, says this. It says, prominent in the concept of mercy is the compassionate disposition to forgive an offender or adversary and to help or spare him in his sorry plight or her sorry plight. Mercy is this compassionate disposition that allows us to go to somebody who's offended us, who's hurt us, who's our enemy, and spare them their sorry plight. So I would say this, mercy requires humility and drives restoration. Mercy requires humility and drives restoration. You could say that another way by saying the proud are not usually merciful and the merciful are not usually apathetic. The proud are not merciful, and the merciful aren't apathetic. That mercy forces us into a place of active engagement. It forces us into a place of active restoration with others. 
And I love that it said despite unworthiness or unfaithfulness, that mercy acts despite those things. We would forgive an offender and spare them their sorry plight. We, we've used this before. I'll use it again. But we always talk, what's the difference between mercy and grace? How does this work? So mercy is what and grace is who? So if you get pulled over, you're driving home from church today and you're going 75 and a 35, good luck. Trying to beat the lunch rush, that's okay. And, and you get pulled over and the police officer taps on the window and you roll it down and they say, do you know how fast you're going? You say, yeah, I was going 75 and a 35, didn't think you were out here, sorry. Mercy in that scenario is the police officer saying, you know what, everybody makes mistakes, you're free to go. Oh, Wow. In, in a real-life scenario, my wife would always get that mercy. She gets pulled over, never gets a ticket. I bat my eyebrows, and, you know, my eyelashes, and the, the police officer looks at me really funny, and I get the ticket. So we've, I, it doesn't work for me. So that's mercy. You don't get a ticket. You can't bat your eyebrows. Okay. Um, what is grace, then? Grace is not only did you not get the ticket, but the police officer goes, you know what, 75 and a 35 seems like a lot. Let me go ahead, and you're probably going to get more tickets, so let me just pull out my wallet, and here's about $800 to pay for your next few tickets. That's grace. That's the undeserved gift that you, you didn't, you didn't earn that. Mercy is you didn't, you didn't get what you did earn, and grace is you earn, or you, you get what you didn't earn. Does that make sense? Ish? Okay. So, so when we talk about what it means to be merciful people, this is hard for us as, as generally accomplished people. This church, uh, whether you know it or not, this is a pretty uh, affluent church. This is a pretty educated church. This is a middle, upper middle class church. This is just who we are. There's a lot of PhDs in the room. We have people at the top of their field. We have people that have been doing incredible things for a long time. We have people that have a very accomplished place. And it's hard to have mercy in that spot. Because sometimes you just feel like looking around and saying, well, they deserve their plight. They made a series of bad choices that led them to this spot, and so why is that my issue? You've heard the phrase, you've made your bed, now you have to sleep in it. I don't feel bad for them. That, that was their choice. They, they, made a, they made a choice to be there, and that's where they are. The prodigal son is another well-known story. Mercy welcomed the son home. Grace threw him a party. Mercy welcomes the son home, but grace throws him a party. And so we are then told, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Who was the merciful one to the neighbor? Go and do likewise. And here's what's interesting about this. Go and do likewise requires us to be a people who cultivate merciful hearts. Because all those other things we talked about, maybe they earned it. Maybe they made bad choices. Maybe they didn't do some things right. Maybe they, maybe they ended up that way, and, and that's not my business. All of those things are these different strings we bring into the equation. And each of those, when they start getting together, they make this knot that we can't undo. And so then when we see the knot and how complicated this knot is of blame and cause and circumstance, and, and we just go, uh, I just better not. That looks complicated. And what happens is mercy unties the knot of blame. Mercy unties the knot of blame. So every time you come into a situation and the complication that you see in front of you of is that circumstance or situation, did they do that? Did they earn that? Should I help that? I don't know. What mercy does is it unties that knot. Mercy relieves you from the duty to decide what the cause was. Think about this. The man who was in the ditch, did the Samaritan do a, a long study on how did he get there? Maybe he made himself vulnerable. Maybe he was unwise in some way. Maybe, maybe he left himself open to attack and he just, maybe he earned that. And we don't need to, to be there in the same thing. No, the Samaritan 
says he had compassion and he went to him. Had compassion and he went to him. Jesus says it doesn't matter. Jesus doesn't ask us to figure out what leaves people broken. He asks us to offer what might make them whole. Jesus doesn't ask us to help figure out what leaves people broken. He asks us to offer what might make them whole. That's our minimal duty as neighbors. What this doesn't mean is you don't attack the system. That doesn't mean that. There are systemic reasons that we have poverty. There's systemic reasons that there's racism. There's systemic reasons for injustice all around us. And so, yeah, we proactively attack the systemic problems in our society as well. That's for real. And some of you are wired to do that better than others. Some of you are wired as advocates. You're wired as activists. You're wired to go and attack systemic injustice and fight it on that level. And then others of you are not wired to do that at all, but you are wired with the mercy and the compassion to go on the backside and figure out where injustice has befallen someone and address them there. So we work the front end to create a more just world, and we work the back end to bring justice where it's been broken. I would ask the question, what do saved people do? And I think Jesus would answer, they would make people whole. Saved people give their lives to make people whole. We've talked about shalom and this idea of peace and bringing, bringing wholeness back to people. Saved people live their lives to make others whole. I can't save you. I can't fix you, but I can offer you what does. So you zoom in on a personal level and you go, well, what, is this, what does this mean? It means we need to learn from the story of restoration. We learned from the Samaritan. He went to him. He showed proactive engagement, sacrificial generosity. So we then have to learn how to find humility in our own souls. Find that humility to begin the process of developing a more merciful heart. Personally, we have to learn to set aside wounds, which is not easy or fun. We have to learn to set aside reputation or record of wrongs. And so when we're in a place where we're personally unreconciled with someone else, we're personally in, a, in an awkward spot or we're, we're in a space where we've got tension. We have to learn to ask the right question. So the question is not, how did this relationship grow, get broken and whose fault was it? It is, what can I do to make the relationship whole again? The question is not, what did I do wrong and why should I approach them? The question is, what can I make right by taking a proactive and sacrificial and merciful position? And so I will do the uncomfortable bit of asking you, who is this in your life? Who is this in your life? Who might be uncomfortable to sit at your dinner table? Who, if you invited them to sit at your dinner table, would look at you funny like, what's your agenda? Because we got this thing between us. Who might avoid you, assuming that what is broken between you might be beyond repair? Or who, to think about it another way, if they walked in those doors right now, would your heart sink just a little bit? Because you know that there's brokenness there. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, grace and forgiveness, while free to the recipient, are always costly for the giver. No one who is seriously wronged can just forgive the perpetrator. When you forgive, that means you absorb the loss, you absorb the debt, you bear it yourself, so all forgiveness is costly. Grace and forgiveness are free to the recipient, but they always cost the giver. Jesus is the clear picture of this. Jesus found us needy in the ditch of our sin and brokenness, and he came down, crossed over, met us where we were, and showed us deep mercy. Jesus forgave us our debt. And forgiveness was costly for us. For us, it was free, but for him, it cost him his life. 
He removed sin and the barrier between us and God, and then grace extended beyond that. Not only did we get the mercy of being forgiven our debt of sin, but then grace extended beyond that and offered us eternal life. Jesus didn't just rescue us. He restored us. The extra mile of sacrificial, relational restoration. And then he comes to earth, and while he's here, people are asking, what does it mean? How do I inherit eternal life? How does, what is this gospel? What is this who is my neighbor? Jesus says, go and do likewise. Cross to the other side of the street. Practice proactive engagement. Seek out sacrificial generosity. Proactively bury your wounds and seek reconciliation. And so we do this communally and personally. We ask the question, where is there societal brokenness that we can help make whole? Where is there societal brokenness that we can help make whole? When we open our eyes and we look around, we, we see the issues in our society. If you want to figure out what they are, you turn the news on at 11 o'clock and you watch about the first five minutes. If it bleeds, it leads, and you'll know where the brokenness is. Where is the ditch in our region? The man's lying in the ditch. Who knows whose fault? Who knows how he got there, but he's there. Where's the ditch in our region? About a year and a half ago, Amanda Valentine started a ministry because she saw a ditch. This opioid crisis is all over the news, and she goes, somebody has to do something. And usually what happens when somebody says somebody has to do something is they send the pastor an email, and they go, hey, can you do this? (laughs) To her credit, she just started doing something. And out of that tumbled a thing that she called Grace Place. And she said, I want to be the place that, that is there, part of the net to catch people who are caught up in the opioid addiction, part of the people that, that work on recovery, part of the people that, that are the, the restorative unit for the families to get caught up in this stuff. I don't want to dive into how we got to an opioid crisis. We have an opioid crisis. We have people in the ditch right now, and I will help. She just started doing it. And a couple weeks ago, as happens, email came into the church, and it was a, a really honest email. Falling back into addiction. The family's going to lose everything. I'm so sorry. I have no hope. What do I do? Somebody was crying out from the ditch, and so what do I do? I said, let me connect you with Amanda. And we have some resources for you. We have some hope for you. And we have a bridge for you. And you hear the lightness in the response. Okay, I can do that. I'll think about that. Say, okay. And so through her contacts and networks of of people that are experts and stuff, and through her own expertise and training, she begins to triage this person who's been in the ditch. And then he mentions, oh, by the way, because of some of my mistakes, I'm taking full ownership um, we owe a lot of money on our electric bill, and it's going to get cut off soon. And I said, well, it's been 90 degrees a whole lot lately, and that doesn't sound like fun for your wife and your kids to suffer from your mistakes. And so let me talk to her. So we called the wife. And we say, tell us about the bill. Tell us what you need. And she's, she doesn't know what we're after. She doesn't know what we're up to. And so mercy, we've, we've kind of alleviated the, the issue. But now Grace says, guess what we're going to do? Give us your account number. We're going to pay for your electric bill. We don't know how you got there. There's probably a lot of bad choices. 
but grace says we're going to pay for that. And we're going to get you back to zero, and we're going to work with your husband. We're going to work through treatment. We're going to work through restoration. We're going to work through recovery. And maybe, just maybe, restoration begins in this tiny little pocket of Bowling Green. But that's what it looks like. That's what a merciful, restorative people start to work like, is I'm not that person, but Amanda is. And I didn't know about that need, but she did. And each and every one of us have these little pockets where we have passion and drive, and God has given us a purpose and a calling, and we have to find in our own selves a merciful heart to go and begin to show proactive engagement in the community. And so we ask the question, where is the ditch in our region, and where has God given me passion to change it? pray that we would be a cross to the other kind of street kind of church. That when we see issues, we don't put our head down and keep walking, but we're the, we're the Samaritan that would cross to the other side of the street and deal. So that's communally. A secondary challenge is where is the relational brokenness in your personal life that you can help make whole? Whether that's over a drink or a meal, if it's a phone call, or you have to start with a text just to reestablish connection. I pray that personally for us, we would be a community that are ruthless about relationship and that we are relentless in seeking restoration. That we would take the challenge of go and do likewise seriously. Seriously enough that we would give our lives, we would lay down our pride, and we would be a people that are about reconciling because we have first been reconciled. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for sending your son. Thank you for Jesus and the reconciliation that happened on the cross. Thank you for bringing us back to yourself. For looking at our sins and our shortcomings, for looking at our, our lives of brokenness and choosing to heal us through the cross. For paying our debt, for taking the price. Father, thank you for grace and the extension of life that you've given us. Thank you for the reminder that eternity while it is ours, eternity starts at the moment of salvation, and we are to be living it now. Father, our prayer is that you would stir something within us, not out of guilt or out of obligation, but God, you would fan the flame of mercy in our hearts. You would create in us to be a compassionate people, people that are ruthless about seeking restoration in those around us. So if you need to make us uncomfortable, make us uncomfortable so that we notice the discomfort of others. If you need to make us in some sort of trial, if you need to drag us through something so that we wake up and we notice, then do that. Father, we pray that you would break down the walls of that which keeps us cloistered as a religious group. You would continue to do that work in our hearts. You would fan the flames of passion that would see us being a merciful people, restoring the city around us. Father, we truly desire to be building the city of God in the city of Bowling Green. To see lives made whole, to see darkness turn to light. Father, to see brokenness return to peace and shalom. So convict us personally that we might start with ourselves and then God give us eyes to see this community like you see it. That we may be a people that can go and do likewise and in doing so bring you glory. Father, we love you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.